The spin is supported by NatWest. Why? Because NatWest loves cricket. The skills it teaches and the communities it creates and want it to be easy for everyone to get involved. To find out about how NatWest is helping make cricket open to all, search NatWest Cricket. It's the spin! Hello, I'm Felicity Ward, and in her infinite wisdom, Emma John, the host of this podcast, has booked all Australian guests onto this episode of The Spin. I am so sorry. It's hard to gauge Emma's emotions right now. There's somewhere between rage, rejection and remembering that she's been here before. So yes, she's still sulking a bit and doesn't want to do this bit of the show, but otherwise everything else will be perfectly normal. Now, please be upstanding for the Australian national anthem. No, I'm just kidding. Welcome to The Spin. Presses. Wait, what's the podcast equivalent of stopping the presses? Stop the theme tune! We've waited the longest time, but the World Cup finally got interesting! It started last week when New Zealand won a close tie against South Africa, who totally decocked up their chances of making the semi-finals. Bangladesh put on a show against Australia, England choked against Malinga's brilliance, Afghanistan gave India a scare, and Carlos Brathwaite almost gave the West Indies a win in a match that had everything. And we might just mention England's game against Australia yesterday, I suppose. It's the spin! I'm Emma John and this is The Spin, the cricket podcast that's always thought the Ashes were more important than the World Cup. Sitting around the boundary of our oval table today, Guardian cricket writer and podcaster Jeff Lemon at Long Off. Comedian Felicity Ward is fielding at Deep Extra Cover. I'm at my usual position in Cow Corner and my framed photo of Michael Atherton is at Fine Leg, where we always have a place set for my favourite cricketer. Thanks to Andrew, who tweeted from Sydney to say my Athers obsession is getting worrying. Andrew, you may be right. Here's a loosener to get you both warmed up. What is your favourite cricket ground? Felicity, let's start with you. What's your favourite cricket ground? I went to Lords for the first time yesterday and it was very monumental to be there, to sort of walk in after seeing it for 38 years and actually being there and having a seat there and not just walking around it and sitting in a sad pub across the road. But I think just because of memories, I think that, and look, no one else is going to say this, but the SCG, it's where I grew up. It's where we used to, you know, we used to go and sit in the hill. There used to be very drunk men next to us that I thought were hilarious when I was six <laughs> and I would probably report now. It's got a sort of thematic resemblance to Lords as well, isn't it? It's quite Victorian sort of yeah. architecture. Turrets yeah. and clocks and yes. whatnot. Yes, yes. Yeah. So you probably helped quite at home yesterday. Well, I mean, later in the game, yes. <laughs> What about you, Jeff? Well, it's it's like trying to pick a favourite child. Mm. You know, there are so so many. I mean, North Sydney Oval is sort of a, a mini SCG version as well. It's got that old heritage green tin roofs and the the lovely skyline. Um, I've been to the ground in Dharamshala, which is up in the Himalayas, which is just ridiculous because you're like, oh, it's we're actually in the Himalayas playing cricket. <laughs> um, Basin Reserve in Wellington because it's in the middle of a giant roundabout, which I particularly enjoy. They just <laughs> put the motorway around the oval, um, and then maybe just to be boring, like it's probably. Adelaide Oval because I think that's the perfect mix of maintaining the heritage but making it modern and multi-purpose and you can get 50,000 people in there and it's electric and you play a day-night game there and the sunset comes in at the open end of the ground behind the fig trees and it's it pops. Yeah. You're not going to believe this, but that is actually my favourite cricket ground. There we go. For all those reasons that you've just said. And also, and tell me if I'm wrong, maybe I'm confusing my cricket museums from mm. Australia, but didn't they used to have a cricket museum, quite a small uh, boutique kind of cricket museum, where when you went in, 
there was a hologram of a female player from like the 19th century who talked to you and talked about the history of the ground? Uh, I cannot answer that question. <laughs> but also, please get me two tickets to that yeah. show. <laughs> it was really beautiful. Tiny, tiny flickering little hologram. It was yeah. like... Um, Obi-Wan. Yeah, it oh. was exactly like Obi-Wan. And I thought it was so cool. This was quite a few years ago and it was, you know, before women's cricket was a big thing. And mm. I thought it was so cool that they'd chosen her as the, your guide to... To the museum and to the It's area. a league of their own, but for cricket. Yeah. The American movie, not the English panel show. <laughs> uh, as, we, as we go on to the next stage of the show, and as we go through the show, Jeff, we went to see Billy Joel together at Wembley on Saturday. We did. It was great. Great cricket chat. I'm interested. <laughs> well, as a tribute to that gig, I have hidden some Billy Joel song titles throughout the podcast. I would like you, I'm giving you a pen and paper now, okay. I would like you to keep score. Sure. Uh, and tell me how many you spot at the right. end. Don't ask me why. Can okay. I also try this? You can, of course. Felicity, I, mean, you, I want you to... Yeah, absolutely. If brutal. You can, just... If you can beat the person who just went to a Billy Joel concert, then that's even better. I probably won't. I know the singles, but I don't know the B-sides. I don't think there are any B-sides. <laughs> not <laughs> in Billy the live Joel. show. There's anyway. a, yeah, not at age 70. <laughs> He's had one set for 40 years, and he is very proud of that. If day. it ain't broke, Jeff. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, we all know why we're here and what Felicity's going to want to talk about. Uh, Australia walloped England in yesterday's World Cup game as bowlers Jason Barrendorf and Mitchell Stark ran through the England batting lineup like a chainsaw through Willow, catching only briefly on the knotty nub of Ben Stokes' 89. That was after Aaron Finch and David <laughs> Warner had put on their third century partnership of the tournament, and England had showed some spunk in restricting them to 285 for seven. Everyone in this room was actually at the ground, so... Felicity, let's start with you. What will your memories be of yesterday? I don't know if I'll ever forget the game. Like, the whole day was just... It was so wonderful. I was the happiest that I've been in years. I cried as I walked to the grounds and, you know, the hubbub of even... It's quite funny because I cried when I left the ground. (laughs) (laughs) But even, like, stuffy old Englishmen that are dressed in head-to-toe linen and they have a little straw hut and they're going to be asleep within an hour, even, like, walking with them around St John's Wood was like, oh, my God, it's happening. Mm. It's not, I'm going inside. You're going inside the time machine. I'm going inside the time machine. (laughs) Oh, I hope I still get to vote when I go inside. Um, (laughs) It was everything that I thought it was. I felt out of place being an Australian. I felt too loud. It was wonderful. I mean, to be fair, you were a little bit out of place being an Australian. There really weren't many Australians in the ground at all. Well, we were talking about this before the show, and I think that there probably were more than there looked like. It's just Mm. there's so many live here we don't dress up in the colours. I get that, but I would also counter-argue that you didn't hear a lot of Australian noise from no. the crowd. So we, there was actually a point when um, England wickets were falling yesterday and I was at the bar and I didn't know that wickets were falling, which is yes. ridiculous mm. because you ought to have heard the roar of the crowd, but there was no roar of the crowd. Yeah. Everything went very silent. Yeah, I, I don't know how you felt, Jeff, but I was uh, where I was sat, there was, there was probably three guys behind me that were Australian. There was two classic little champions with watermelon hats sitting near the, uh, the Barmy We know how obsessed you are with watermelon. I love a watermelon Anytime hat. Anytime you can get your head in a watermelon, it is a good time. <laughs> it sure is. Um, but there was, I could probably only see about 
10 or 15 people within my eye shot. So whenever something exciting happened, I would go, yeah, sorry, 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 <laughs> sorry, sorry. So I've, I'm, I'm still an Australian at heart, but I've lived here long enough to apologise for our success. That is very British. Apologise for everything. Yes. For, you know, you were apologising to me for where Wembley was the other day. That is, that <laughs> is true. I did that. Because it was inconvenient to get to. I'm sorry we've built the stadium in a place that doesn't suit um, It was strange, wasn't it? Uh, there are sort of covert Australians, I guess, but they mm. weren't. The point where when Owen Morgan's wicket fell, I wasn't uh, anywhere where I could see it. And, and we heard a roar go up and, and I sort of thought about it. And the person I was speaking to said, oh, that sounds like a boundary. And I said, no, it's too quiet. That's a wicket. Mm. Um, and, it, you know, you could tell from, from the crowd noise it was a bit too sustained and a bit too quiet. So I was like, some people are really happy about that and most of them aren't. It's interesting. Felicity and I were saying just, uh, just earlier today that there was a feel in the ground. It didn't feel like, hey, this is a fun World Cup match. It felt like everybody should be in white. It felt Ooh, so yeah. intense. It was very tense, very respectful, very, you know, like eagle eye on every ball. It was um, wonderful, wonderful stuff. I think that tension has been suffused through the England camp for a while and even in the, the pre-game press conference, you know, uh, Owen mm. Morgan has turned into a very chippy, very wound up sort of chap. I mean, before the tournament, it was all like, ah, oh, yes, here we are, everything is, we're so relaxed and we're going to smash everything and it's all fine. And now he's like, why are we asking me that for? I'm not scared. We've never been scared. Why would we be worried? There's no pressure. What's pressure? I've never heard of it. You know, <laughs> it it's very obvious. It's palpable. It's coming off him. He's wound up like a spring because oh. he's worried that they're going to stuff it up. Skipping ahead to his post-match interviews. I mean, for a start, I love the fact that the Laws announcer said, there'll be a word with the England captain. <laughs> and I thought, yes, we all want a word with yes. the England captain. <laughs> In the principal's office in two minutes. <laughs> and then he actually said, I, I thought, the guys bowl really well. And I thought, is that honesty? Yeah. Mm. That's, and I've, I've had a problem a with... a word. <laughs> I'm writing one down. <laughs> Very good stuff. So my, my memories of tomorrow... Of my memories was, of tomorrow? Are you the hologram wow. from the future? <laughs> I'm really looking forward to that game already. My memories of yesterday... Um, are mostly, I think, going to be to do with the first innings, to do with the Australia innings, and mm. particularly the first hour and a half, where not nothing seemed to happen. You know, the, the the openers were playing and missing, but England were not taking wickets. And I had, as an England fan, I had a bad feeling about the game. Mm. The sense that this wasn't going to be a good day. Like, I re- mm. it did feel like a premonition, like nothing is quite going right. It's weird how none for 100 just gives you that premonition that <laughs> hey, maybe this isn't going to go well. <laughs> it's true. And I think that thing about pre- Pressure, really, you saw it in the field, like Butler missed a stumping, didn't he? And mm. um, Finch got his century off a misfield. There, oh, there a, were a lot of misfields. There was a lot of, but there was a lot of close catches too. Lots of like diving in the air and nearly getting lots of, oh, ooh. Yep. a lot of that in the first hour and a half. Yeah. I think it was, you know, that first, it was the first 11 overs where Wokes had the ball going everywhere and so did Archer and it looked great. The ball's mm. decking and it's beating the edge and all the rest of it. But you looked at it at the end of that 11 overs, they're 45 for none at that point so they've put a few on the board and just got through it all of those balls that went off the seam they were missing the edge by six inches there was one that missed by about a foot that Wokes got to go tremendously and yeah it looks fantastic but you're never going to get a wicket with it he cut both the opening bats 
batsman in half a couple of times and both those balls went over the top of middle stump and then he had an LBW shout that was turned down because it was too high and reviewed it and it was too high. So everything they were doing was bowling too short and if they pitched the ball up more then they might have taken those wickets. The first thing Australia does is pitch the ball up, second ball of the, the innings, pitch it up, swing, middle stump, see you later James Vince and then a couple of overs later Joe Root gets the same. So it must have been really nice for you Felicity like as your first visit to Lords to like have such an easy entrance into the game. <laughs> well I mean there's a couple of things that I have to say about this. Number one we were sitting on the side of the pitch so mm. we couldn't see the line of the ball at all and where we were sat we couldn't see either of the screens. So we saw none of the replays. <laughs> I saw none of the swing of the ball. I saw someone get out or not get out. But your view of the stumping was incredible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the runouts, lovely stuff. <laughs> the near direct hits. There was actually there was a, a moment, so it was my husband's first cricket game ever yesterday. Like, that's where he starts. Wow. It's only downhill from there. Oh, and get this. So he's like, oh, I'm really enjoying this. I thought he would hate it. I thought he'd be really bored. And I said, you can feel those things, but you cannot say that out loud (laughs) at any stage. So we're, we're sitting there. Gareth Southgate, the English football manager, walks past and then leads the Barmy Army in song <laughs> and everyone stands up and then at the end of the song and my husband's filming it, I'm like, you should film this never happens. That at the end of the song, Steve Smith hits what looks like is going to be a six and ends up being caught out. And I'm like, you've just seen a unicorn. Like, that's a cricket unicorn. He's like, yeah, it was really good. I'm like, really? You don't know how good you've got it. I'm like, can, I, can I point out that it wasn't the actual Gareth Southgate? It was a lookalike. Was it really? Yeah, it was. Yeah, he was. He was sitting there. Our producer. Who Are was, you kidding? Yeah, sat, sat in the mouth. Oh, my glasses are very good. Then I was like, that. That's you good. thought Gareth Southgate had actually gone to lead the Barmy Army in song? Yes, I genuinely thought that. It was actually a hologram of Gareth Southgate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I feel so sad now. <laughs> I mean, Jeff, I know that you're famously quite an unusual Aussie and that you like to see a good game instead of necessarily Australia thrashing. How did you feel when, when it looked at, right at the start of the game like this is only going one way? Well, it's an odd one because you've got this... The thing that's been fascinating for me is watching David Warner be so far from his best Mm. and yet he's made 500 runs in the World Cup and he made 53 yesterday at a runner ball and he still didn't look like he was hitting them the way that he used to. He still wasn't middling his shots. He's sort of dragging pull shots over mid-on or mid-wicket and not really getting them clean out of the bat. There was one shot that he hit where he's he's up on the balls of his feet and he sort of chops the ball away behind point and it was for a single, but he's made thousands of runs with that shot and that that's what he used at his best in test cricket to make a lot of hundreds. He's just chopping away behind point and that was the only one yesterday that was clunk clean out of the middle where I thought he's really, really got that one and that was you know one single so he's still not right and even though he's still not right he's still got the inherent quality to be able to just make bulk runs and keep piling them on it's extraordinary to watch and and I'm it's a massive contradiction but it's fascinating every time he goes out to to see it continue it seems statistically impossible and yet he keeps doing it and also statistically impossible is that Mitchell Stark is having a world cup that's as good as his last world cup which was a complete freak of a tournament he 22 wickets at an average of 10 last time around so 10 (laughs) runs per batsman you dismiss and he took a wicket every 17 balls in the last world cup and now he's doing it again he's got 19 from seven matches and he's not 25 no it's just like uh, yeah i I mean warner 
What terrifying potential. Yeah. I feel exactly the same. I actually, there was no point yesterday except at about 5pm where I felt confident we were going to win. Really? Yep. Because I thought the runway was too slow at the beginning. Mm. As an Australian for the last decade, we've had our confidence eroded. It's like being an England fan. It's like being an England fan. We get it. I empathise and I'm so sorry for your last 20 years. Um, But it's, it's, I don't don't ever feel comfortable. And we saw it, you know, we saw the middle order crumble with Australia. I'm Mm. like... Oh, here we go. Well, it's it's that boost at the end. So Australia, we've seen in almost every game so far. I mean, Finch and Warner have made three hundred opening partnerships. Mm. They've they've made nine hundred and ninety six runs between them in the tournament, which is insane. Oh, just a lazy thousand runs from the openers, no worries. But they keep setting these massive foundations, and then it doesn't go up at yes. the end. You know, they don't get that final burst, and they end up thirty, forty, fifty, sixty short of where they possibly should have been. So, you know, England should have chased two eighty. They should have come out, been methodical, knocked them off. It shouldn't have been impossible and yet they made it look like they were chasing 400. They did. Um, so you guys are fine. You're, you know, Australia booked into the semis. Uh, if England don't win against India, is this good night Saigon? Oh, they're very close. I mean, it depends what else happens. You've got Pakistan, Sri Lanka, Bangladesh, who are all in the chasing pack, but they've got, well, Pakistan have to win against New Zealand today while we're recording this. So the result of that's massive. And then the other two have to beat India they want to make it and then uh, Pakistan play off with Bangladesh at the end which could be an elimination final if England keep losing. Everyone's talking about how they can still make it it's just the fact they don't look like they well they can still win the World Cup is what people are saying but mm. they don't look like they will win the World Cup. They don't necessarily look like they'll make the semis but they'll still win the World Cup <laughs> and that's the important thing. <laughs> um, of our hearts. Of our hearts yeah. They're not even doing well on that front right now. <laughs> Stephen Rudolph sent us an email asking why are the English fans chanting root when Warner and Smith walk on and off the field. Well, we actually have the moment Steve Smith came into Bad Laws yesterday, so let's have a listen. More pressing question is, uh, with this whole cricket bat guitar novelty thing, (laughs) why have they not hired anyone who can play the guitar? (laughs) I think that he can play the guitar. I don't think he can play a guitar bat. (laughs) And that is fair because I don't. It's a different kind of instrument. Why it's there? No, nobody does. Nobody does. They're propping up the ailing cricket bat guitar industry. That was one thing I actually had a little bit of a problem with yesterday. So yesterday, when Finch got out on a century, everyone was clapping to the music that he got out, and then the music stopped. And I would say a quarter of the people, if that, actually clapped him. I'm like, he got a century at Lords. I don't care who you are. That's an ovation. Mm. That's it was really. I thought there was some really bad sports. You'd, you'd have also thought that just you know people would still be clapping the fact that you know England had taken a wicket. <laughs> yeah, that as well. It's two for one. Hey, you got a hundred, yeah. and he's out straight away. It which was, was the amazing. most the most Aaron Finch thing of all time. It was. It was actually like that's the kind of thing I fantasise in my head as an England fan when I'm watching somebody get century. I actually like run those little clips mm. in my head of like mm. yeah, but maybe maybe he'll try and like go large off the next one and get caught. Did. Wonderful. And on that Root thing, when Joe Root came over to where we were standing to in the outfield, my husband, who had never been to a cricket game, he said, 
why is everyone booing an English player? <laughs> I was like, well, look, they sound very similar. <laughs> There's a lot of oohs. You cannot tame or predict what a crowd will do. When they get a thing into their head, that is the thing they do and that is what they will keep doing. Talking of crowds, on the last show, Charlie Baker made a shameless plea for a ticket to yesterday's game and it worked. He got one. I mean, he did have to sit next to our producer all day. And that is the unique thing about cricket, that when you go to a game, you are going to be sat next to strangers for eight hours and there's a genuine chance you'll make some new friends, if only for the day. (laughs) The reason I bring this up is because yesterday I was sat next to the most delightful four-year-old girl called Florence. Mm -hmm. She was just amazing. She was intrigued by everything that was going on. She danced at all the music between the overs. Uh, She had questions about everything. So I got to basically like sit there helping her dad educate her about cricket. And honestly, it wasn't just me. She lit up the rows around her. Like people were coming up to her at the end as they were leaving to say, good game. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And honestly, if it hadn't been for her joyous smile, I would probably have been in a puddle of tears at least, you know, midway through the England innings. What did you teach her? What did I teach her? Well, something she didn't need to be taught. For example, her most flair piece of knowledge was that if the ball hit the helmet, you got five runs. And then the sweetest thing was that she was looking for the helmet all game. And I was having to explain there wasn't one on the field. She kept saying, where's the helmet? Where's the helmet? And I gave her my binoculars so she could have a look at things. And of course, she got them the wrong way round because that's what adorable children do and said, everything looks so far away. (laughs) Okay, so I have a confession to make. Last week, we wrote a piece for this podcast about how upset we were that there hadn't been any upsets in this World Cup. And then Sri Lanka beat England, so we had to drop it. (laughs) But don't blame us. We didn't start the fire. Yes, we were worried we weren't getting enough interesting action in this tournament. But this last week has turned that on its head. Owen Morgan kicked things off against Afghanistan, playing big shot after big shot. It was a great innings, if not a great match. Since then, we've had South Africa pushing New Zealand all the way, Afghanistan scaring the Indians, and Carlos Brathwaite becoming the most heroic loser since Napoleon Dynamite. (laughs) So now we've seen everything in this World Cup. A record number of sixes in innings, uh, final over hat-tricks, comebacks, both sides being bowled out inside 50 overs. But what are the ingredients that make for the best games? Well, I think first you've got to point out that Owen Morgan made 17 fewer sixes against Australia than he did against <laughs> Afghanistan. It's so hard to pick why it happens, isn't it? You, you have these weeks where everything goes to plan, sides are getting smashed. You know, how does Pakistan get bowled out for 100 in their first match and then knock over England and make 360 and then next. None of it makes sense. Cricket doesn't make sense. Mm. And, and I think the way the game works lends itself to pretty extreme margins a lot of the time. You don't often get close games, even if, you know, if you have a really good team and a really bad team and they play 10 games, it might be nine to one, but the one won't necessarily be close. You know, it's just cricket seems to work that way. Definitely the best game of the tournament so far, West Indies against New Zealand. I think we've got to talk about that game. For anyone yes. who didn't see it, I will just just summarise it for you because I think that game could have been a Hollywood movie. The Kiwis lost early wickets. Kane Williamson came to the rescue with a brilliant 148. Chris Gale responded with his best innings of the tournament. Then at 142 for two, West Indies collapsed calamitously to 164 for seven. Brathway then took charge, hit 101, looked like he was going to pull off a miracle win, only to fall in the final over five runs short of the target. I have, I'm going to admit it right now, become completely obsessed with that game. And I didn't even watch it live because we were at a Billy Joel concert. Yes. <laughs> I had, so I'm, I'm doing a play at the moment, which I have to get there at the weekend. I have to get there early. Saturdays are out for me. So I just get updates on the BBC Sports app where I'm just like constantly updating. And so 
the play was about to start. I'm like, are you kidding me? And then we had to go and do the play. And it was just like, I couldn't believe that it was just going back and forth and back and forth like that. It was so exciting. It was so good to watch. I watched it two days later. I'm not talking about the highlights here. I'm talking about the entire game. You watched it like a movie. I watched it like a movie. The only fast forwarding I allowed myself was actually kind of between overs, you know, when there was that break on. And it was like binging on a box set. That's how it felt. That's how good that game felt. I told you, I'm totally obsessed with it. I am going to watch it now. Please, I really suggest you do. Because this movie analogy, I think that's totally fair. Because in movie scripts, I think this is right about movie script writing, you always put your big turning point at the end of Act Mm. 2. You have all sorts of set up and interesting things going on. But then the end of Act 2... Then then you have to overcome that crisis through resolution. And that's exactly what happened with the West Indies collapse. It came Mm. at exactly the right point at the end of Act 2. There were also then during Brathwaite's innings, I'm sorry, I told you I was upset. Don't you ever apologise on a cricket podcast for loving cricket. (laughs) There were actually cinematic moments. Like Brathwaite scored two sixes in an over. That's right, isn't it? Three, I think. Well, I was going to say he scored two. And then, I don't know if you remember this, there was a really, really long pause as Kane Williamson brought all his fielders and the bowlers together. There was this massive kind of like long discussion, tensions going up and up. And then... Brathwaite literally just scores a three off the next one. It was so perfect. Um, I, and I think particularly because it was him, that Carlos, there's something about him that makes you really warm to him. He, he debuted at, at an Australia a few years ago, 2016, I think it was, and endeared himself to everybody by just doing things like coming out and hitting one-handed sixes off James Pattinson at the MCG in a test match. He was so just sort of genial and, and humble and just this, he's this enormous human being, but he's just this really sweet, normal guy. And he's like, oh yeah, just thought it thought I'd come and play some cricket and seemed fun um, and he went to school with Rihanna and you know he's like he's got this ridiculous life story and one of the best things I've seen in cricket was that World T20 final in 2016 when he smashed the four sixes off Ben Stokes at the end which was just incredible to watch at, at Eden Gardens you know watching these the press box up there is really high it's basically bolted to the underside of the, the canopy over the stand and so you've got this aerial view of these enormous arcs these sort of artillery arcs of the ball flying into the crowd at the far end and then his interview the next day where he explained how he hit each six and he's like well the first one well, I didn't really get hold of it but it was a bit of a mishit but they were all mishits apparently but they all, they all carried the rope and so then but he's never done it in one day he's never he averaged what 14 in one day cricket I think before that innings he's been dross in 50 over cricket he's never got a run he's made above 30 maybe once and then suddenly he's like oh cool I'm just going to make 100 off whatever 60 balls or whatever hit 25 off and over to the end well I only have two batsmen left at the other end yeah and I think the only flaw you could point out is that when he gets it to they need five off eight balls you don't actually need to hit another six then and he wants to hit a six for the glory shot but not necessary champ and, and the <laughs> over that over he gets two runs in that over you know dot 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 then he gets the two out to deep mid wicket to bring up the hundred you can't afford to do that you don't have to be waiting for the ball to hit for six you can get more twos you know twos will do it you can do it in twos and, and yeah. you end, so you end up with that amazing image which is going to be one of the images of the World Cup of him mm. on his knees and Kane Williamson sort of holding his head like putting his hand on his helmet yeah. in this comforting gesture which will be the kind of flint off you wouldn't Bradley have been able image. to feel if you're wearing a helmet and someone puts <laughs> their hand on top of it you don't know that's why I did it it's the symbolism yeah. it looks like he's comforting when right. actually he's like I watched Brathwaite do the kind of long that the camera uh, stayed on him as he did yeah. the long solo trudge up to the uh, up to the dressing room and it was just absolutely heartbreaking 
amazing. But there was also a lovely image where he did you see him blow a kiss along his back? Well, yeah, when he when he brought the hundred up, that was gorgeous. Oh, come on, that was gorgeous. And also Ian Bishop's commentary of that moment. A, a, a lot of the time, I think a lot of the TV commentators don't land it. They're not don't necessarily have the the skill base to do that. But Bishop's call of that was sensational. That whole last few overs, he was giving it the big ones. He was absolutely air guitar windmilling <laughs> commentary version. Um, and, and it was the, the way they cut that package together to put all of those moments and use Bishop's commentary. It was spot on. It's sort of weirdly delicious to watch a game where you know what the ending is going to be because you get to listen to the commentators call it completely wrong all game. <laughs> I mean, Michael well, Holding was Andy and Smith were both just laying into West Indies. Yeah. Deservedly so, but it kind of looked really, you know, this hasn't aged well. Well, we all do. You know, England are tournament favourites. They're going to romp it in. Uh, no, Pakistan's gone in round one. They'll never challenge. They won't win a game at this World Cup, etc., etc. I think overall it's been an incredibly unpredictable series. And then, weirdly, as the as you know the exciting crickets happen in the last couple of weeks, it's still been a little bit predictable. I think what makes great one-day cricket is confidence and aggression. And we saw it yesterday. It was only like hints of it. I remember like towards the end of Australia's batting innings and you started to see Stokes like catch the ball and like pretend to throw it at the wicket. And that kind of stuff, I'm like, I haven't seen enough Mm. of that, of that aggression on the field, aggression with the bat, of confidently hitting those sixes. And, you know, the West Indies-New Zealand game had that. And it's like the drama is missing for one-day cricket. I've, I've felt this World Cup. Yeah. And and Stokes, when he was batting as well, he was the only one who said, like, he defended dourly at times and then chose his balls to attack and was judicious about it, but seemed to be batting without any fear, whereas the others were a bit hesitant. So what do you think makes a game great? You can tweet me at M underscore John or email us, thespin at theguardian.com. Still to come, the battle of the accumulators and summer bromances. Did you know that the first official Women's Cricket World Cup was held in 1973, two years before the men's? Or that a whole new bowling technique came into play to get around hoop skirts? Or that the England women's team has won the World Cup twice more than the men's? That's twice! There are lots of things to love and learn about women's cricket. As a part of its push to get everyone playing cricket, NatWest has partnered with The Guardian Labs to tell more stories about the game. Follow them at theguardian.com forward slash natwest cricket. This message was paid for by NatWest. This is The Spin, the Guardian's cricket podcast. You can't see it, but we're all wearing matching suits, just like the commentators on the telly. Before the World Cup, there was a lot of focus on the big hitters. This was going to be the tournament of Butler versus Gale, Roy, Maxwell and all the rest. But a look at the top scorer table shows that this is the tournament of the quiet accumulator, not the entertainer. Root, Williamson, Shakib, and yes, as discussed, David Warner. Mm are the ones making the impact. Uh, as also discussed, Kane Williamson has won New Zealand their last two games pretty much on his own. <laughs> so who is the best sort of middle order runner ball run machine at this World Cup? Or as Simon Lewison emailed us to ask, who would you prefer to bat for you if your life to the semis depended on it? His answer was, give me Kane any day. Yeah, the life depending on it one is definitely Kane because he's the one who uh, he doesn't have those lapses in concentration. He never tries anything that he shouldn't. There's literally no ego. He's the only cricketer with no ego because you'll still see it, even with batsmen who've played carefully, you know, if they need four to win sort of Carlos style, they'll, they'll often try to finish it with the big shot or bring up the hundred with the big shot, you know, have something for the video reel. 
Kane Williamson would happily just knock a single defined leg and go through for the 100 there. Do you think it gets frustrating for him when he sees his teammates unable to do the same thing and he does keep having to not quite shovel them out, but he does have to do a lot of it on his own? I think if you're one of the greatest players in the history of the sport and you see other people not being one of the greatest players in the history of the sport, (laughs) it's probably unreasonable to be mad at them about it. I love Kane Williamson. I think he looks like a gentle dentist. That's what I see every time I look at his face. Again, though, wouldn't you say that's most of New Zealand? Like any Kiwi you've ever met, you're like, you look like a gentle dentist. Actually, you act like a gentle dentist. I trust you to administer pain. That's how I feel like about New Zealand. That is true. So who else is in the running, do you think? Gentle dentistry. No, as this kind of, you know, the really great accumulator. We've got, here are some stats. We've got um, Warner, as, as we've said, it's 500 runs now, exactly around, a nice round 500 runs mm. at this tournament including two centuries and three fifties Shakib we do not go a single podcast without eulogizing about Shakib has 476 runs Joe Root still up there despite yesterday with 432 runs mm. Steve Smith 282 and um, Aaron Finch I mean it, you know obviously not normally that kind of accumulator role, but seems to be taking it on. No, but no, always normally that kind of accumulator role. That's the misconception. Finch in T20s is a, an explosive basher, but Finch in one day has, has always been quiet. His career strike rate's 85. All of his hundreds, bar one against Scotland back in the day when they weren't much good, have been, they've almost all been scored at less than a runner ball. That's what he always did with Warner. Warner would go out quickly Finch would accumulate he'd all, almost all of his hundreds have been opening with Warner and so then he'd get to that hundred off you know in 35 overs or so and then almost always get out straight afterwards what he's done in this World Cup is recognise that Warner's struggling to get started so Finch is starting faster so there's a definite uh, difference to the way he's approaching his game he's hitting a lot more sixes early in the innings he's taking on the bowling more and he's doing that so that Warner can be comfortable with the strike rate he's starting with. I think it's a really good captaincy I've been really impressed with Finch this whole series and I think that his confidence has grown and watching him yesterday I'm like that's like a Warner shot mm. there was a couple of shots that I thought oh Warner's oh oh that's Finch like there's a confidence yep. and a groundness and I think as a one-day captain, I think he's settled in it and I thought he's showing some really good leadership there and I think that shows with fielding as well. As for accumulator, yeah, I think that Warner is just... I cannot believe that he's the lead run-taker. <laughs> I can't... You can't... Because every game you're like, oh, come on, mate. Yeah. Every game yeah. you're like... Get, him, get a wriggle on. This isn't the old Warner. What are you getting dot balls for? Yeah. So many dot balls yesterday as well, but he's still pulling out a half century. Like and He's still going at a run and ball. He, he had the one, he really dogged it against India. That was his, his yeah. worst one where he made 50 that basically lost them the game before the chase even got underway. And then he had a shocker against Sri Lanka as well. It was the, he made 26. So it was the slowest innings he's ever made that was that many runs or more in, in one day cricket. But so he's, he has been struggling. He's acknowledged that, but he's finding a way through it and he's he's just so stubborn and that he will grind through somehow. Do you think that we're disappointed that he's not more unpredictable? Maybe. But this is unpredictable. Of yes. Him. Yeah. But, that, but that he's not being like he's not being someone that you can be ashamed of. Yeah. <laughs> like where's the mongrel? Where's the guy that punches people? Where's the guy, you know, like where's the bully? It's almost like we want him so we can shame him but still get his runs. Ooh, that is that is some deep Australian is that, psychology is that deep? right there. Well, we're a very complicated country. We, we've always had a complicated relationship with him. It's, yes. But, well, not really. It's like he can do whatever he wants as long as he keeps making runs. But now he's got an, he's got even longer, even further to, to come back into public estimation. Can I just say, as my final point on the accumulator yeah. thing, that 
um, it is really interesting to me that the England team, like as we saw yesterday, if Root, he's the only person in that team who yeah. can do that, who can play that role. Yeah. Stokes played the Root role he, yesterday. He did. He actually did. A, yeah, I mean, Stokes. And he's is, done that for a while. He's done that since he came back from his own off-field trouble. He's he's been. You've had Root at three, and Stokes is Root at five. So yeah. you, you've got two linchpins. And he looks like a person them. who who kind of wants to make up for things. Yeah, mm. and, and that's I think with Warner a bit as well, wanting yeah. wanting to look responsible because if you get out playing a Larry shot, you know, I've caught it deep mid wicket then people will smash you for it but Shakib just quickly on him I think he he looks to me like a player who's ready to do something really special to drag his team over the line into something special he's got good players behind him as well so it's not he's not quite in the Williamson position he's got Mushfakir he's got Mamadullah who've got World Cup hundreds and know how to do it but if Bangladesh can somehow pull this off if they can sneak into the top four I wouldn't think it's impossible that they could win it because he just looks like he's He's not going to take no for an answer at this tournament. He's probably going to be player of the tournament by the end. He's got 10 wickets as well as all of the runs he's got. His lowest score is 41. He's made 50 at least every other time he's batted 200s. He just looks like he's not going home without something special. Right, that was the moment. The spin just called it for Bangladesh. Know what I want to talk about to cheer myself up after that England defeat? Bromances. Before the South Africa game, Sky did a lovely interview with Jimmy Neesham and Lockie Ferguson where the two Kiwis sat with their arms around each other and complimented each other on their good looks. Mm. Their nice, gentle dentist looks. (laughs) And I realised that they were going to have to go on my increasingly long list of Cricket's cutest couples. That is hard to say. Cricket's cutest couples. Cricket's cutest couples. Uh, So I would like to know from from you two which pair you think make the perfect partnership. I mean, Felicity, other obviously than Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins, who is your favourite cricket bromance? Uh, look, at this stage, let's say the zing bales and the stumps because they cannot be separated. <laughs> Very um, good. <laughs> and also, I don't know if you read, there was an interview before the World Cup started and Nathan Lyon was talking about the partnership that he and Zampa were going to have. Mm. And that has not been the case because mm. they have not been on the field very much. So that that's, was, that's interesting about Lyon and Zampa because that sort of suggests that, that there's some rift between uh, Zampa and Stoinis. They There is a lot of video, oh, isn't yeah. there? Yeah, there's that really nice footage from from the UAE of um, Zampa sitting next to Stoinis and he's sort of stroking his hair and scratching the top of his head absentmindedly while watching the cricket just sort of uh, he's got one hand out just patting Stoinis's face and then he stops and then Stoinis like leans in like, he, yeah, he goes back stop, in like, like when you stop scratching a dog and it comes and leans on Aww. your leg he's like Aah. and then so then there's more scratches and more more pats and more strokes and I thought it's just it's really really nice that's true I feel like one of the bromances that has slightly let us down this tournament is Moeen and Adil Rashid mm. because that is supposed to be a great cricket bromance so not only do they you know love to spend time with you they normally bowl better when the other one's playing mm. but not really it's not really coming off right now no not at the moment but that was a deliberate thing from Finch yesterday as soon as they both came on he was like going after them rattle them get them pulled out of the attack knock England's plans around he that was very deliberate and calculated Bra- break them up yeah trying to break up our trying to put a wedge men. between them oh, the, the other one I love is um, James Taylor and Ed Smith. You never see them not sitting next to each other, mm-hmm. do you? They're always there. James kind of looking up at Ed because Ed's so Well, much he looks up at everyone. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm afraid this is the time to say goodbye, but thank you to my guests, Jeff Lemon and Felicity Ward. Before we go, we need to find out what your final tally of Billy Joel song titles is. I've got two. I've got We Didn't Start the Fire and Honesty seems to be the hardest word, which was also a tag with Jeff, so... Um, I, that's still good. Sure. 
I mean, I know that sounded patronising. I'm very competitive. <laughs> I'm up to four. Good night, Saigon. Don't ask me why. Was your last reference there time to say goodbye? Was that one as well? This is the time to say goodbye. Yeah, yeah, yeah very good. Go. Yeah. Okay. So we're up to five. So you're the entertainer. Did you get a big shot? I said big oh, shot twice. Big shot after big was, shot. That was obvious. Shameless? Did we didn't? Nobody got shameless. I no. Just thought you were talking about me. <laughs> I, th- I think that's all of them. Honestly, you may be right. Don't ask me why. You may be right. I didn't. Oh, gosh. Mm. Well, so embarrassing. Um, we've I'm let sure ourselves down. We've let our country down. I know. I bet there are people who are listening who've done better. So I, I bet would... there are people who are listening who are saying, why did you have only two Australians on the day after England <laughs> lost to Australia? What that's... sort of planning was that, producer? I have felt a little bit outnumbered. Welcome to the podcast called Insult to Injury. And... <laughs> Uh, next time, comedian and one-time cricket journalist, Miles Jupp, it was just a one-time, really was. <laughs> makes his debut alongside Jamie Theakston, who started out as a cricket presenter on Five Live, and has opened the batting with Brian Lara. To make sure you don't miss that or any of the episodes to come, hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've been listening from the start, thank you for keeping the faith. The Spin is supported by NatWest. To find out about how NatWest is making it easier for everyone to get involved in cricket, search NatWest Cricket.